All right, everybody, welcome to the August 1st edition of Cascading Views. I've got both Dan and Chris with me here for the full batch this week. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing all right. Uh, so something that's happened here locally in the last week is that the state of Oregon is now asking us to wear masks again. Um, they're not mandating it. It's, it's not any sort of penalty attached to it. It's just a request from the state government and our county government at this point. It comes as uh, the number of coronavirus cases in the state spiked, I think, about 20% last week. Uh, this is largely due to the Delta variant, which now makes up uh, a little over half of all coronavirus infections in Oregon. Uh, it, it was a little reminder for us locally that the pandemic is still going on. And while it's mostly prevalent in clumps of the unvaccinated out in the wider community, it is uh, on a national scale. I, uh, in fact, JJ posted a link uh, that Florida has now 20% of all new COVID cases. 20% coming from just the state of Florida. Uh, Texas has now surpassed New York in terms of total coronavirus infections. This was after New York was really the poster child of what can happen during this pandemic. Um, Florida's new cases have spiked more than 50%, and they are now currently sitting at their highest number of weekly new cases since the very start of the pandemic in March 2020. Uh, really doesn't seem like this is going away uh, anytime soon, and it seems like the people causing that are the unvaccinated. Am I correct in that? I think uh, that's very kind much of the consensus. Yeah. Uh, Florida, in the face of this overwhelming new surge in their state, has decided that they will pull state funding from any school board that mandates students wear masks. So, you know, right. they're having a same one down there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, and it's not just them. Like, uh, New Hampshire's governor has said that he wants to um, pass a law making it illegal to do local mask mandates. Oh, great. Oh, man. He's, and he's supposed to be one of those, you know, northeastern Republicans that, you know, get elected in spite of, you know, your general right. blue lean up there. So that's great. Wasn't it the Republican governor? I want to say it was like Ohio who said that he wasn't going to ban local mask mandates. He just wasn't going to put a state one in there. I thought Republicans were kind of coming around on that. That surprises me. Uh, I would also, say they're not all there yet. Yeah, the governor of New Hampshire is also one of those top-tier Senate recruits, potentially. Right. So he's one to keep an eye on for sure. Huh. Okay. Uh, has there been any response uh, to the growing caseload up there in Washington, or have you guys mostly avoided uh, the, the Delta variant? Uh, I don't think there's been any kind of at least major change on the horizon in terms of policy. Uh, it's, I have not heard any you know big announcements from Inslee of late. Let's see here. Anything in the news? Any big events from Inslee? Nothing. Nothing big in the last seven days. All right. Uh, there was a report from the CDC uh, that came out that was, uh, I believe, widely misinterpreted in the media, or at least by the New York Times, for, for what that's worth. Uh, the CDC has a study out that shows that virus caseloads and transmissions are dramatically lower 
and vaccinated people, but that right. they can still act as, you know, spreaders. So they were just encouraging people to wear masks indoors. The New York Times took that report and ran with it saying that the, uh, that vaccinated people are still susceptible to the virus and need to wear masks indoors, which I believe is almost completely 180 from what the, the, uh, the actual report said, which is that they're largely not susceptible to the virus. They can just spread it. Right. Which, I mean, is kind of what you would assume. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Super responsible. <laughs> uh, the CDC guidance uh, is just that in crowded indoor spaces now in places where there are many unvaccinated people, uh, you should probably still wear a mask regardless of your own vaccination status. Um, it's It's been pretty widely ridiculed in right-leaning uh, right media. I, I think it's pretty much common sense. That's what I've been doing, to be honest. The mask yeah. mandate was lifted here like almost a month ago. And when I go to places that are filled with people from Portland, which has relatively high vaccination rates, I generally don't wear a mask. I didn't wear one at Trader Joe's last week. But when I'm at the hotel with a bunch of people from fucking Idaho and shit checking in, I've been wearing yeah. my mask every single day. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't think there was anything relatively new in the CDC report, but there was a whole lot of irresponsible media. Yeah. And I think it's, unfortunately, it's been so misinterpreted and misunderstood that I've already seen people saying, well, everyone's getting it whether they have the vaccine or not. So it doesn't matter. The whole chicken pox party logic. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Just great. Measurable viral loads do not indicate that you are, you know, sick. <laughs> Your immune system is, is definitely able to fight that off with the vaccine, and they're giving it the blueprints of what the virus looks like. It's just, it's still in your spit when you exhale <laughs> and shit like that. Right. Um, and the problem is because with this variant, the viral loads are much higher than they are were with earlier variants so you are more likely to spread it if you do happen to get it yeah it, yeah very common sense guidelines i don't know how we have any sort of fight over this but apparently it's a thing and largely because of the new york times yeah. uh, never stop guys never stop yeah just great so the wheels on the House investigation into the Trump era are continuing to turn. We had the very dramatic uh, first hearing of the 1-6 commission in the last couple weeks. That is now on hold for six weeks while they go on their summer recess. I don't know why they thought to split it up like that. I am kind of glad they got that first hearing in before they left down, but would have appreciated a few more. Uh, the other investigations, largely into Trump's taxes, uh, have been now given a fresh shot of life by the DOJ, which has told the IRS that under the DOJ's interpretation of the law and court rulings that it must, and I'm quoting there, must hand over uh, Donald Trump's taxes to the House Oversight Committee. Uh, right. The IRS has indicated that they will be complying, but they will give a, a short like period of notice, basically, to give Trump uh, a chance to challenge this in court. It's worth noting he has actually challenged this in court twice now and lost both times. So I don't think that's going to go anywhere. I imagine we're going to be 
at least our legislatures will be getting their, their hands on those tax returns within the coming months. Does that, that seem about right to you, Dan? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, hey, something to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, the Biden White House has also told former Trump staffers that it will not be asserting executive privilege for their testimony, which removes one of the only legal ways out of testifying for those folks. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. One official at the DOJ has already turned in uh, a series of notes that he had taken after this assurance was given by the Biden White House. Uh, That was Donahue, and he has notes that indicate Trump told the DOJ they don't have to actually find fraud. They just have to say it was fraudulent and that he would do the rest, which is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Just give me the pretext. I'll stir up enough chaos. And, and then he's basically come out and said that there was nothing wrong with doing that. Mm-hmm. And that, by the way, the election was massively fraudulent. Like, he's still... Yeah. I saw a comment earlier, and I wish I remembered who it was from so I could properly cite it, but, you know, from some pundit type, that we shouldn't let the fact that he's saying it absolutely out loud in the open (laughs) detract from how unprecedented this is. Like, Mm -hmm. it's so much worse than Watergate. Oh, absolutely. The, uh... What do you think is going to be more interesting, the, the tax returns or the testimony from from staffers? Well, it depends what's in there. I mean, if he was just kind of uh, trumping in the way that we know he trumps and, you know, saying, like, I don't even understand why this is bad. Let's encourage it. I don't know that that's such a big headline. If he was actively moving chess pieces around, like in advance telling people not to respond and doing other things that look more coup-like, that could be quite significant. Dan, as the, the resident person with legal knowledge here, it is really at this point just a claim to executive privilege that's shielding them from testifying, correct? Otherwise, they'd they pretty much have to plead the fifth to avoid it. There's, there's no right. other way around it. I can't think of other any other impediment that would be asserted. So, yeah. Is there an argument? I, I know traditionally it's always been the current executive that asserts executive privilege. Is there any argument that it doesn't matter if Biden has dropped the claim to executive privilege, if Trump still claims it, it's valid? No. A previous president cannot exert executive privilege it has to be the incumbent that would do it so yeah basically yeah and really the purpose of executive privilege is to allow the current president to receive advice and make decisions i mean that's not something that an ex-president would really need or have to assert so it would have to be biden asserting it on his behalf so yeah, it's really, it's all in Biden's court. And if Biden says no, then really they're compelled to testify and they would have to assert the fifth. That would be very interesting to see something close to a cabinet official assert uh, protection from self-incrimination. Yeah, I would say so. 
And I know a jury isn't supposed to read into that, but the the house is not a jury. <laughs> They're not bound right. by by court procedure and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very interesting. Uh, the other bit of news out of the house is that Pelosi made several last minute attempts to get the eviction moratorium extended. None of them were ultimately successful, and I doubt you'd see appetite in the Senate for it anyway, even if the House was able to pass it. That means that very shortly, I believe on the 3rd, uh, the federal eviction moratorium comes up. The White House is working a contingency plan trying to get states to disperse as quickly as possible. The many tens of millions of dollars in rental assistance funds the feds have made available they're trying to do that in an attempt to get people in their houses. You see a lot of talk from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party that uh, a forever eviction moratorium isn't uh, an actual policy outcome, but it is the short-term outcome that is needed now uh, when there are so many on the precipice of losing their house. I, I think I largely agree with that. I think this needed probably another six months or so at least uh, until we get a handle on things and kind of get back to our normal if that's ever going to come. It's it's pretty dangerous when the economic recovery is so fragile to have I think at last count there was like 18 million people at risk of losing their house when this moratorium comes up. To have that sort of shock to the labor force is I think pretty irresponsible at this time. Yeah. I mean, trying to think of any other options that, you know, or left because really Congress is out for what six weeks, so mm-hmm. right, yeah, that's all there is then. So, geez, there's a lot of human suffering to happen yeah. in the meantime, otherwise, yeah. And uh, obviously, Republicans can block it on their own in the House, they don't have the numbers. There was some Democratic crossover on that, um, but it was largely Republican opposition. Uh, it's interesting to note, Oregon also killed their moratorium, their eviction moratorium. They decided not to extend it, so this is largely in line with what some fairly blue states are doing. It does feel, though, that uh, maybe just a little bit too early here. How do you feel about it, Chris? Yeah, I think it's absolutely too early, especially because there is a good chance that we're going to be back into some kind of lockdowns or more severe disruption. If not this summer, then certainly in the fall, because fall is always when these kinds of infectious diseases take off, fall into winter. And we've seen what this thing has done with just a little bit of encouragement in the summer. Yeah, worse than it's ever been in some places. Since we're still talking about Congress, uh, Chris, you have been following the infrastructure bill that I long ago stopped managing to work up the willpower to read about. <laughs> so I will tell never give up on, on the infrastructure bill. <laughs> yeah, so um, the, the latest development is that there's a proposal out for about $1 trillion and it's uh, very much hard infrastructure. You know, it's Roads, bridges, power grid, passenger rail, airports, etc. 
those kinds of things. Um, and it's sort of, it comes in two chunks. There's about 500 billion that's genuinely new spending. And then there's about 500 billion that's was already earmarked for something or else out there. Um, some of it is even from the original COVID-19 relief package. So, you know, that's one of the things the progressives were kind of afraid that hmm. the Republicans would repedal the original expenditure and say it was something new. Um, so there does seem to be some bipartisan buzz around it in the extent that they got enough votes to end cloture on discussion. So it is now up for discussion in the Senate and people will, you know, go through that process and start to add all their amendments and it gets very messy from there. How close was so, the cloture vote? It, it was, they did pretty I think it was 67 votes that they got ultimately. Oh, nice. so yeah. That's actually they really pushed it quite through and some unusual suspects like they've got McConnell on board for it as well. They got McConnell for the bill? Yeah. Holy shit. Did he say anything about it? I'm trying to remember if he if he was particularly outspoken on it, but I mean, Chris, do you remember anything or I just remember Trump calling him out. I don't remember him at Yeah. Trump. Trump is pissed. <laughs> like he's really really he was whipping against it. So this is doubly egg on his face. So that makes it even better. <laughs> yeah. And um, there's also been some coverage of how Kirsten Sinema has been really pushing this behind the scenes, like keeping meetings on it going. When in the meetings people get off track, she's kind of like, hey, come on, we already agreed to this. <laughs> Let's not get... Yeah. Uh, so just pulling up a... Uh... A Politico article on McConnell's vote on this specifically. He, he did say a couple things, one himself and one through staff. Uh, the thing he said himself is if the, if the bill that ends up on the final vote is the bipartisan bill, he'll vote for it, but he's not going to vote for a bill that becomes the Democratic bill through amendments. And then what he said through staff uh, is that if McConnell and his party become the face of obstruction, it could lead moderates like Manchin and Sinema to waver on the filibuster, and he doesn't want that to happen. Huh. So so he feels that they have to let something bipartisan through just to prove that they can, basically, is what I'm hearing. I mean, I guess. I mean, is he, does he truly doubt their gullibility? <laughs> I don't know. They're pretty committed. <laughs> It, it's knows? also interesting that he had staff say that instead of himself, yeah. because he was the one who said that if it becomes a Democratic bill, you know, he'll change his mind. But if it stays the bipartisan one, he'll vote for it. That, that was directly from him. The other one was from his staff that apparently, according to Politico, were authorized to speak. Yeah. And we should emphasize, I mean, I already alluded to this, but... Um, in that statement by McConnell right there, he's talking about amendments, which everyone will be offering. And the other thing that this bill hasn't included so far is a clear sense of how any of it is paid for, because that was too controversial to agree on. I remember that. So, <laughs> so there's a bit of a road to go here. Um, yeah. But I was seeing that I think uh, – 
Collins and Mansion were out on the circuit today saying that they think this is going to be kind of the final week that they really push it through in the Senate. So Mansion was also making promising noises about the Democrats' companion bill. Yeah, uh, I, I think Sinema has pretty much killed it yet. I think she said she won't be voting for it at all. But Mansion, Mansion mm-hmm. sounds like he uh, both he wants to vote for it and thinks he has he has a chance to get it through. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, that's where most of the stuff still is, because they've shrunk this one down so much. But hopefully, hopefully something comes through. Yeah, and the nature of Trump's opposition is is interesting, too, because, you know, it is purely an anti-Biden thing. He didn't object to anything in the bill. He didn't object to the amount. He, mm-hmm. This is an infrastructure bill he could have he could have put out. If he'd actually done his infrastructure week, it might have looked something like this. <laughs> and he probably could have had the Republican-led Senate pass it. Yeah. Yeah, probably without even a sweat. Just kind of reminds you that he had absolutely zero interest in governing. Like, yeah. none. None whatsoever. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess we'll we'll talk about our our local stories. Um, the big one returning from last week, which Chris, you weren't here for, but uh, we did. We have a Seattle's mayoral primary. It's crowded. It's very crowded. Yeah. Uh, lots of splits in the poll. Nobody really has a commanding majority. Even the person who's in the lead, I think, is at like twenty seven percent or something like that. So a, a lot could happen this weekend. Um, we're getting into the final stretch. People are doing their, their last bit of retail politicking out there, shaking hands, going to forums. Uh, there was a somewhat kind of debate thing uh, that was on TV the other night. Uh, really, really kind of weird. They have a table for the two hosts, but then like the 10 candidates who attended this thing are just sitting in plain black folding chairs on a black stage looks very like high school theatery to be completely mm-hmm. honest uh but there's there's some excitement to it i think uh in fact i was talking with jj in the comments to this topic for it about mm-hmm. uh how he's feeling out there and he he said he's polling for houston who is a uh one of the people i mentioned last week i believe should probably be more prominent than he is uh but just the race is sucking all the oxygen he's uh a former policy chief for a couple of people on the council. He's a housing advocate, ran a nonprofit, just really all around has a lot of the skill sets that you think Seattle would want to be taking a look at right now, considering the problems Seattle's facing. Uh, but can't get out of like the 6% range to save his life. Mm-hmm. Really kind of depressing uh, in that sense, how I feel the same way I feel about this as I did about the Democratic uh, primary campaign in 2020. That just because there was something so obviously sucking all the oxygen out of the room, there wasn't really time or space to explore a lot of really what I felt were appealing options. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I feel the same way about the Seattle mayor's race, to be honest. Um, there's just such a scramble and everybody's trying to get it and all amounts to basically this referendum on on Durkin and what she's done that there isn't really space for anybody out there to have new ideas it's only 
how do you feel about Durden? How do you feel about the last two units? Not right. really about the future. Kind of the yeah, I mean the focus is kind of on the same old battle lines that that always kinds of lines up to be is you know more or less the urbanist Seattle politics of not not so much conservatism as you know just more what's the term I'm thinking of here just maybe more development friendly more business friendly democratic politics versus you know more progressive friendly politics you know so you got yeah your Harold frat faction versus your what's ultimately going to be uh what you know the name's escaping me at the moment uh the other candidate who's likely going to be advancing is it gonzalez yeah gonzalez yeah. is is one of the big two there yeah yeah he's most likely going to be making the top two in this uh jungle primary but yeah yeah so i mean we we've talked a lot about the new york primary as well as being another one of these kind of crowded races again where you know it's mostly an intra democratic party fight where you know a lot of these issues are being hashed out and that's really where all the action is again because it's you know entirely an intra-democratic party affair i mean the difference is this is going to be just a it's not the end because you know new york the primary was it and then the general election is kind of a foregone conclusion whereas here it's a primary and it's a jungle primary and the top two get to fight it out all over again in the fall. So, yeah. The couple of local things from Oregon here. Um, Governor Brown has made known her opinion on a couple bills that were passed during last session that she'll be vetoing. Um, one of them is a largely esoteric, uh, tinkering around with the Consumer Advisory Council at the Oregon Health Authority and uh, how that relates to Medicaid and Medicare law and, and what's allowed under federal law. She thinks it's not compatible, so she's ditching those. The other one was a bill uh, intended to limit youth access to Kratom. Uh, Kratom is a plant from Southeast Asia that has compounds in it that are opioid analogs, and they work the opioid receptors in your body. Uh, it's got all the danger of opioids with absolutely none of the regulation whatsoever. Uh, Governor Brown vetoed that bill because it established a regulatory office at the Oregon Department of Agriculture for Kratom, and she does not think that since it has any FDA-regulated uses, it's not approved for any sort of treatment, that there should be any sort of state regulation about it. She says the bill should just straight up ban people under 21 from buying it, which... Fair enough. And she's asked them to pass that bill uh, in the next session. None of it's really earth-shattering, none of it's big, but it is really the only real political news we've had come out of Oregon in a while. Uh, and I believe, isn't the California ele uh, recall election coming up pretty soon? September 14th, so we got a little over a month. That'll be the next one we track. You go from Seattle mayor to California governor. 
did they ever get any like real candidates for that, or is it all complete circus? Uh, it's pretty much a complete circus, but there's also depending on whether or not you believe some pollsters. I'm not saying I don't believe them because they're like you know dirty ideologues who let that bleed into their questioning very soon because I don't really know California local polling. But there were a couple different polls from uh, people based around the L.A. area, pollsters down there, that showed Newsom within a few percentage points of uh, of being recalled. He's only up by like three or four, according to them. It does clash with some national really? pollsters who have gone into California, who think Newsom has much more of a cushion. And I don't know if this is a case where the national guys are better at this or if the local people know how to poll the local markets. will be interesting to see. But there is apparently... A bit of a question about whether he's at risk hmm. with this. Yeah, I guess you know there are a few in the mix that. Uh, let's see here. Looking at the polling average, yeah, I guess there's a couple in there that show it a bit closer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. He uh, he even took a uh, news media interview from California media the other day, asking him about that, and he acknowledged he might lose and said if he does, he doesn't regret a thing, and he'd do it all the exact same way next time. Yeah. So sticking to his guns on that, which I think is a, a smart move there. Um, I am very curious how it shakes out. Yeah. Uh, the Seattle Times has an article up um, about their poll, uh, placing him as almost directly evenly split over whether he should be recalled or not. It's going to I think come down, come down to the wire. I think we won't know the results of this race on election day. Huh. And the interesting thing about that is that they've, like, neither field really has anybody. The Democrats deliberately didn't put anybody up, unlike how they played it with Gray Davis. Well, see, they did. They did the same thing with Davis. Like, they didn't put Bustamante up as a candidate. Until like very reluctantly at the very end of that. Toward the end. Huh? Yeah, yeah. They put like, all he their eggs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They put all their eggs into saving Gray Davis and when people decided they didn't want him there, there was really no real democratic option. Cruz Bustamante was like the eleventh hour addition when they realized they had to have somebody up there. And the Republican field is a mess too. Like everybody knew in that other election that they were basically electing Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. there's, they're going to get somebody they don't like at all <laughs> if it goes Republican. I, I think the most likely case in terms of if the electorate is sane is there's a former San Diego mayor on there who's, you know, not the worst as far as it goes. Um, if you're going to pick a Republican, he'd probably be the one. But as you mentioned, there's Caitlyn Jenner. There's like three different conservative talk show hosts. There's yeah. <laughs> there's a bundle of fucking crazy in that race. There's another porn star like last time. Yeah, just a fucking bundle of crazy. <laughs> All right, so I I think that's pretty much gonna do it for us. Um, here in Portland, we're just kind of waiting to go up in smoke. It's been more than forty five days since the last time we had rain. So yeah, I'm sure we'll be on fire soon, guys. But for now, have a good week. <laughs> you too. See ya. Bye.